0: everyone, welcome back to the left page. I am Frank, your always online historian, academic, and writer. I am joined as always by my great friend and social scientist, Leon. Hey everyone. We are also joined by a special guest. He is returning now, first time in the left page, but first of many, I'm sure. It's Justin from Library Punk. Welcome Justin.
1: Are you guys mad at me?
2: <laughs> no, why would you say that?
0: <laughs> you have to tell me if you are <laughs> nah nah of course not uh, though we, I will expose you as the person who uh, has made us read this book and has just suggested this one we did say yes though so I guess it's all our fault I'm gonna start off saying uh, before I say what the book is although you can see it in the title we have found one of our podcast nemesis it's Yuval Noah Harari he's shit he's terrible and that's what we're going to start. Uh, we're going to talk about Homo Deus, which is his second very famous book. His first one is Sapiens, a brief story of humanity. Terrible, terrible conceptions of history, terrible recollections, terrible, uh, how do I put it, framing, uh, terrible interpretation of data. It's, um, yeah, just yeah. Not good. It's no. not good. Uh, Homo Deus is, um, well, we'll we'll get into that in a second. And then we have, uh, what, 21 Lessons to the 21st Century, which even amongst his fans, they don't enjoy as much because it's basically a collection of essays where it's like, they're very wishy-washy even for him, apparently. Um, But yeah, here's someone who is a fan of doing, uh, well, big history or general history. And I'll get into that uh, eventually. There is a couple of conceptions of history there, but he's a very big proponent of this idea, and uh, definitely a good argument of why that has been criticized so much over quite a long period of time, some centuries at the very least. So, yes, uh, yeah. Homo Deus. What is this book about? Well, it's
2: uh, it's not about a gay god, but unfortunately. It- <laughs> Unfortunately, happy pride for everyone in Angosphere by the way. Um, it's our first June episode, I believe. But, uh, other than that, yeah, so this book, it's actually it is a bit of a challenge to say what it is about because it, if uh, you can just go by your observations and you'll be right according to the structure that's laying out in this book, <laughs> it's 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 interesting because, um, it reminds me of like once again a bunch of things at the same time. It's it's part like wannabe tech bro. It is part um, like I I know a lot about the future. I do. I would be be great on talk show host or something like that. Like he reminds you of a severely less smart Neil deGrasse Tyson, which is like already once again Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> is wrong about a lot of stuff that isn't directly SARS. So yeah. <laughs> And, like, once again, that arrogance of, like, hey, I know a lot about SARS, therefore I should, like, say stuff about other things is something that, like, uh, Yuval uh, Yuval Noah Harari is, like, (laughs) an exemplar of, I would say. I would, like, (laughs) he's, like, the the token saint of, like, talking about shit you shouldn't be talking about. So, once again, this, um, this big history, it's a term that I'm not that familiar with. And it I thought, oh cool, like grand narrative history, um uh, which once again i I have ideas about, uh, but generally I like reading about that, and I don't want to like you know i'm I'm not, I'm not dis- dismissive about that big history, however um I, I still don't <laughs> know what it is to be honest um so yeah, that's what do you guys this book think is this book is about
0: I think it's about uh <laughs> and my best guess is that he's trying to on the one hand, he has this, and uh, I'm going to take him in good faith, which I maybe shouldn't. But he's trying to legitimize an idea of grand narratives via this big history. But it's yeah. it lacks more than there are bad grand narrative narratives, <laughs> but they usually try to establish some sort of foundation or argumentation. This one is. It's the fusion of extremely pop, shallow history and anecdotal and uh, very poor information. And especially as he starts talking about other areas of knowledge, he's theoretically a historian and a very bad example to all historians everywhere, uh, I'm sure. But he talks about a lot of other areas poorly too. And he's trying to make uh, grand narratives a thing via watering them down to nothing with an extremely... I'm going to come out and say it. Why not? What What, what do I have to lose and why waste any time? Technocratic fascism. He believes in very little ex- aside from technological development, progress, and um, yeah. And that culminates in fascism. It's really
2: funny because I was going to say that this book is essentially great man theory, but it was swap man with technology. Yeah. It, great Man Theory, Will quick People, it's like a, a theory that's on a trash heap of history uh theories for quite for like a century, I think. Like it, it has been a thing for like a very long time. So I don't know. Uh so that's essentially what this is, I think, in my own opinion. Yeah.
1: I think this is I mean, this is obviously a book written to be a, a pop a popular book for a general audience. Yeah. Like it's it's as I said before we started, it was not a book written for anyone who has ever read a book. <laughs> so this is a book that is made for people who don't usually read history, um, because if you did, you would realize that this isn't really history. Yeah. And also, it's it's printed very thick, but it's not a long book, so it makes you feel real smart, I think. But it's this uh, Thomas Friedman kind of school of writing by extended metaphor, so you just— Start off with a premise, start a metaphor, start another metaphor. And Harari, instead of metaphors, also is like, here's a study about uh, brain implants. Here's, uh, did you know Microsoft is making Cortana? She'll be able to write your emails for you. Um <laughs> And if there was a pandemic, humanity would be declaring the heads of the people who let it spread. You know, just some great hits from his 2016 <laughs> book.
2: So normally, I would be, like, um, a lot more relaxed about people who like do, like, predictions and whatnot. I think we shouldn't uh, discourage predictions. However, there's important aspects here, namely that the people who are doing these predictions are not, like, how do we say this, uh, Ooh, horrendously sensationalist about this, and also <laughs> yeah. then wrong. Um There is, I uh, maybe you guys know one, but I, I don't think there is a single notion put forth in this book that hasn't been disproven by time now. Yeah, but once again, book is seven years old, and in the seven years, the world very diligently, almost structurally, has been rejecting his premises one by one.
0: Oh yeah, it's <laughs> almost
2: impressive in its own kind. I don't know.
0: I mean, he starts off on the premise that like, okay, so what is it like hunger, disease and and war have effectively been pretty much solved to the, the people that are important in the world. Th- that bits in very hidden brackets, but pretty much it's like, yeah, you know, by and large, we don't really worry about famine. We don't worry about war and we don't worry about disease. Yeah. Here yeah. comes the last seven years. Uh, but aside from that, even beforehand, large portion of the world would strongly disagree, as I do now. Um yeah. so yeah, it's very much a, and it's a theme throughout the book. You know, the people who are important are the ones who are doing this important technological stuff and whatnot. The rest, uh, eh, they're pretty fucked
2: Yeah, it's funny that the World Bank came out with a report like, I don't know, like two years ago about like which is like which was an essay, not really a report, but like was titled along, something along the lines of uh the argument for hunger or the argument for uh like uh uh, shortages because it drives economic stability was like it's long or short of it i'm not doing it justice it was terrible by the way um but once again world bank yeah thank you thank you (laughs) uh so even that i would say people who are like somewhat comparable to harari's vision or Harari's supposed vision wouldn't agree with Harawi. So once again, this begs the question, like who, who's the book for other than people who literally don't know anything. and just want to sound smart. Cause I, I think yeah. if you want to sound smart, there are once again, better people who do that.
1: It definitely, uh, made rounds on like dumb book, YouTube reviewers. So oh, yeah. I, I definitely will. I did a little research to see like, who's talking about this book. And, uh, big international market so lots of videos in different languages uh but most of the most of the videos are just like interviews and presentations with him i think he did like a debate with uh, zizek about some of these topics as part of like the book tour um everyone is sort of comparing it to sapiens and saying like well i like sapiens better but this is still like interesting to think about but yeah i mean this is a book without like a clear thesis statement Um, which he tries to hide his thesis statement. But I think ultimately in chapter one, he kind of hits it, which is like death is a technical problem and all problems are technical problems. So your desires, your wants, your needs, and every technical problem, therefore has a technical solution. And if you accept these axioms then the rest of the book makes sense, if you disagree with any of these axioms so far, then the Which rest of the book is going to yeah. be be a pain for you because you have to accept these as true before we can move on.
2: Yeah, it, it is this very, almost slightly, dare I say, erotic ode to technological determinism. Yes. Yeah. He, he is so deeply in love with his own with his own conceptualization of the, the technological determinism which once again, there are so many different ones. And this is why it's, I called it tech bro earlier, because once again, the main determinism of Western tech bros is, or main determining uh, characteristic of Western tech bros is technological determinism. Like nothing, no other process really mattered throughout history. Economic is only a byproduct of technology. Uh, Like social is only byproduct of technology and so forth. Technology is the most important uh, factor driving force throughout history. And it is an important one, I would argue, or definitely one that should be looked at. And like once again, but I always like see first off, I see technology as a subset of culture, mm-hmm. and so, so there we go. Let the, we already can not reject the whole sociological dimension. Um, but yeah, it, anyway, it's it's such an fervent ode to this uh, fa- very faulty idea, I would say.
0: I mean, he he talks about history a few different times with a capital h and eventually he claims that like yeah we we don't history is uncertain and we don't really know and predictions are difficult and yet he establishes things as very determinant i yeah. when i doing i'm doing history or i'm thinking about history or engaging with any of it i'm like yeah there are things which are which weigh heavier on the scales but it's all conditional so none of it's determinant and uh, this one is very much like you yeah, know, it's progress. It's all about progress. Always about technological development and that's the key. Definitely.
1: Yeah, he talks a little bit about like pre-modern societies and either grossly simplifies it, so he says like uh like Christianity and Islam uh don't value life in its in and of itself. And it's like those are too huge like you can't make any <laughs> Claims about religions that big You know he said he says all kinds of like Weird things that are just like On their face not true but Like he says like communism Can only happen in a modern society It's like there's pre-modern communism The mm-hmm. Marx Didn't invent communism like it existed In in fields And stuff it was a reaction to Enclosure and stuff He brings up the like Buddha just to Dismiss him you know he, he's <laughs> like These these are outmoded Our ideology, uh, also we and our, is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Oh, yeah.
2: A lot of hiding as well, I would say.
1: Yeah. And our ideology is health, wellness, happiness. And those are technical problems with technical solutions. Yeah. So we don't need to cultivate any kind of other consciousness because we're just too dumb and stupid and greedy And we're just going to keep being that way. And that's going to make us bootstrap ourselves into cybernetic gods. Because at no point will anyone hit the brakes or have the brakes hit for us. He, He basically sees people as selfish and lazy and fat. He has a real hang up with fatness. It's didn't expect that. Um, I, I had a theory that maybe he was bullied by a gang of fat children when he was a child and like he's just trying to get it out on them. I get to say this. I was a fat kid. <laughs> um, but he, he only brings up fatness as a cause of death. So at the very beginning of the book, he's like, more people are dying from overeating and getting heart attacks and diabetes than they are dying in war. And he brings up Weight several times, specifically fatness, always as a thing that's just caused by you being selfish and stuffing your face with McDonald's, and never like fatness as not causal to health conditions. Fatness as a uh, a symptom rather than a cause. So you're like none of that matters to him. So he's and by the time you you start to think, hey, wait a minute, isn't that wrong? He's moved on to talking about uh, yards. And should you have a yard in front of your house? So he never stays on topic long enough uh to really actually dive into any of the topics. Even when he does one that's kind of interesting. Because there's a couple of points in the book I'd like I'd like to hear more. But uh now he's gotta move on.
2: Well, yeah, he gotta move on because I I don't think he knows more than he's already saying. So it's like, yeah, and which is happens a lot throughout the book. Um yeah, the man has very big opinions based on relatively very little, which is a problem.
0: In <laughs> extremely scarce and uh, rare sources, he makes these extremely bold and significant statements. I will bring some soon, but he he claims things like, "Oh, the the life sciences agree on this. Now all sciences are agreeing on this." It's like, um, as a, a fellow historian we don't uh and uh, absolutely fucking not <laughs> N- nah none of this none of this is even remotely close to a glint of truth but he makes this like oh but the scientific establishment is in agreement about this and all oh, this is a new scientific dogma that is uh being s- selected and agreed throughout the various fields i'm like what what are we even talking about mate
2: which academic consensus which you know it's <laughs> like this this is very big uh, citation needed uh book
0: like yeah
1: yeah and i think getting back to like what is this book about and what is it for it's kind of an early version of what we're seeing really pushed after chat gpt which is the ai fear mongering um mm-hmm. in a in a sense he is doing a little bit of the work for them by having this like, isn't, couldn't the future be scary and bad? We're going to lose our privacy. We'll lose our humanity, uh, all sorts of things. And of course, recently there have been pushes by the the large AI companies. So like the, the open AI, uh, Google, other people have been writing letters to governments saying, you need to let us regulate ourselves. You need to grant us a license to do AI and only like us because it's yeah. too dangerous for anyone else. And that's, it's a cheap, I said this on, on Library LibraryPunk, uh, it's a cheap way of doing regulatory capture, because you don't have to actually bribe anybody, you just have to get them scared of AI, and then that only you can write the regulations to save them. And then you've done regulatory capture basically from the beginning, because you wrote all of the foundational rules about your industry.
2: Definitely. It's really yeah. funny, because lately there was this article about like, this drone, AI-controlled drone, like, kill, like trying to kill its own pilot or something. Um, I don't know if you guys, like, aware, but apparently that's not the case. Apparently that was just a guy at a conference just talking about the thought experiment. <laughs> and, yeah, right? and, and here, I admit I fell for it. Once again, I didn't talk about it, so I didn't necessarily embarrass myself, but um, I fell for it. Like I was like, oh yeah, immediately, like, oh my god, this AI is probably dumb enough to do that. It's like a huge risk. I still think it's a huge risk in if it's like implied in once again military situations and so forth and so <laughs> on. Uh but once again it, it apparently didn't happen the way what the BBC, like l- a lot of major news outlets just like blatantly reported on it. Which ah. is once again, uh <laughs> which makes a lot of sense based on what Justin just said. Uh like why why by that's happening. Uh oh, yeah. So yeah, once again, as someone who doesn't necessarily like AI like well, the way it is utilized right now, I really wish that like the anti, the vocal anti AI crowd once did a bit more due diligence. That. But that's beside the point. Mm. That was very interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I think like to to what this book is about, I think it's really interesting how Harari wants to be apart from all of this. He wants to like, no, I'm just relaying some information to allow you to you know, think differently about the future and a present and whatnot. At least that's what he's saying at the end. No, that's true, but he claims yeah. to do that. And it's it's really funny, the things that he, the way he talks about and the assumptions that he has, but absolutely does not confront. He pa- posits some of them and engages with a handful, which one I do find interesting, probably the only thing I find interesting in this entire book, is how he actually engages, like you know, uh, endless growth is not really sustainable, uh, but uh, it's what we got, so yeah, th- not a problem, yeah. I guess. Just, uh, just gotta yeah. figure it out. Uh, the small so
2: problem is- of endless growth.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but he does talk about that. It's like you know, endless growth wasn't always a thing. It's a recent development, and it can be an issue, but uh, we'll figure it out. It's, it's not. Let's not think too much about this, and he's moved on. But other than that. Uh, he talks about you know corporations and it's like oh you know well uh th- maybe they'll be able to monitor your health conditions and allow for that and whatnot and it's like well there's you're you're missing the big point which is the fucking profit motive you asshole <laughs> I um as a brief aside I I I this book infuriated me I made extremely sweary notes uh, I've never swore as much in my own personal notes as I did for this episode so uh I'm fairly inflamed this is this is being fun uh so uh, feel free to stop me, Leon and justin but yeah there's there's a very lacking aspect of this like how how he wants to be generalist, he wants to encompass all of humanity, and it's like, oh no, this is our future, and this is what awaits us, and this is what we'll face this us who is which is hiding so so much, and uh just you know the diversity of humanity. And yet he still, he continues to drive this point that we, that what we're doing, that humanity is doing, this is what will happen. This is the future. And it's it's easy, it's very easy to fall into this trap that's like, yeah, no, this, this is what's going to happen. It's set in stone, basically. It's set in print, at the very least, uh, as he frames it. And, you know, for someone who is claiming to be broadening horizons, he sure is limiting them to a very strict outcome, and it's the point, right? It helps a very specific subset of interests, which is that of well, tech bros, this Silicon Valley mentality, and this very focused thing. Um, to to allow myself a very brief quote, as I found when when looking up reviews on on this book and whatnot, I found one from a, a review of this book, which whose name is. Colin Garvey from the uh, ICON, the International Committee for the History of Technology magazine. And he says, and I I can entirely agree, Homo Deus is a highlight reel of historical bromides for tech bros designed to bolster their econometric view of the world. He says more than that, but effectively it's, uh, you know, throughout this nihilism, throughout this techno-fascism, it's still bogged down and it's like, well, what what can we continue to believe in a sense? A lot of this book's about belief, uh, what Harari's against and what he's for. And while he doesn't, he isn't as outspoken about it, the one thing he talks about the entire time is this idea of technological growth, development, data, whatever data ends up being, and algorithms. Um, and I, th- I think this book is for... Is for this, it's very, it's a very big symptom of uh, Silicon Valley uh, ideology, to put it in the broadest of terms, I guess.
1: I think it prefigures a lot of why we see a rightward shift in these these tech spaces. Like, because they are realizing, uh, Harari doesn't seem to realize it, but like, this line of thinking inevitably leads them to fascism. Yeah. And it's I'm reading a book right now that uh, I barely even cracked, but it's a Marxist interpretation of like 21st century issues. So things like robotics, uh, climate change. And it's like, okay, we know our ideology. We're going to assess it this way. So, you know, it has structure. It's like we're going to talk about degrowth. We're going to talk about, you know, what does that mean? What does it mean in a Marxist sense? If he had done that, he would, you know, because he is a liberal. But he has like a, a non-ideology ideology. So he thinks he's just, in the same way that, that liberalism claims to have like no ideology, it's a seamless transition. So I, what I wrote is, technical, Technosolutionism will inevitably lead to fascism, all the while claiming it has no ideology. A seamless transition from the non-ideology of liberalism to a non-ideology fascism and eugenics mu- movement that we see in the long term so i don't yeah. know if he sees that he's going down this path but at no point does he come to his conclusions and go oh god i should do something about this future uh yeah he doesn't he he feels no need to divert himself from the conclusions he reaches in this book it, it reminded me of one more thing um when you were talking about how he, how he doesn't think about ideology he thinks about technical process, progress, someone brought up in one of the Star Trek shows that I haven't seen, there's an episode about the replicator and uh, this society is like, give us the replicator, we could make everything and we wouldn't have scarcity anymore. And I said, no, you don't understand. We had to do it the other way around. We had to end artificial scarcity to create a world where we could invent something like a replicator. We had to have the political and ideological change first, and then we invented the replicator. We didn't get space communism because we invented a replicator one day.
2: Yeah.
0: That's good, actually.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, no, uh, it's, it's funny that, uh, like, once again, he is liberal or neoliberal, I suppose it's but he doesn't um <laughs> he doesn't even embody like this the one tolerable palatable thing about neoliberalism in uh in like the sense of the international relation model of neoliberalism mm-hmm. namely that like there's international cooperation through institutions as supranational organizations and so forth and like you know m- um nation states working together and like uh, like the market being an invisible force that connects these people and so forth, or these nations, and th- thus facilitates corporations and nobody's gonna make a too dangerous to move. Law. But once again, I don't subscribe to it, but that's, that, that's generally what neoliberalism mm-hmm. believes in on international relations level. Um, even yeah. even they understand that int- institutions play a role and international cooperation plays a role in their webs of influences there. Harawi, once again, fully. Does not subscribe and talk about any of that in a significant way. It's it's just technocratic. Uh, once, once again, technocratic solutions, um, which once again leads to like techno feudalism or techno fascism. I don't know. Like, it's weird. It's it's really weird.
0: There's a fascinating section where he's talking about what he claims to be the religion of liberalism. Yeah, we've got to get into this. Yes. We've got to, We've got to tackle this. <laughs> But before that, I'll, I just mentioned this because it's, it's relevant. And he's talking about, you know, like, he wants to make you believe that he's a kind of post-liberal, that he's more enlightened than liberalism itself, uh, yep. go fascist But he doesn't, he doesn't recognize that. To the point that he calls Steven Pinker not going far enough in leaving behind the liberalism. It's a baffling section.
1: It's definitely where he's getting some of this approach is people like pinker and and oh yeah the you know trying to be the first person to explain like the 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 ideologies that he sees of course he doesn't want to call them ideologies could have done that it would have been accurate but he goes no these are all religions and he starts making up (laughs) religions and classifying the world into religions in this really weird way and i i I don't have an exhaustive list of all their he names, but you've got the traditional ones. And then also humanism is sort of the dominant one. Like even if you're religious in the modern world, you're not really because you still go to the hospital. You still look both ways when you cross the street, you know?
2: Because Um, that's what religion is. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Because that's what religion is. He he does a lot of uh, what's called atheist fundamentalism in which he he distills all religions down to their fundamentalist versions and says, that's the true version. Any other version is just a weakened, fake version yeah. of the religion, which is not actually the way that works. Fundamentalism is a reaction to the tradition.
2: Yeah.
0: Just before we properly get into the religion, it's fascinating how he calls everything religious. Uh, and it's really easy to you know reinvent concepts that are millennia, century old, and Longer than that being analyzed, understood, and interpreted, and you just you know make up your own meaning on the fly Uh, because that's good scholarship, right? That's it's uh, intellectually honest, right? To make stuff up because that's what you want to do, and you know disregard millennial study. Um, So yeah, that's that's what he does with humanism, and that's what he does with religion and religious as an idea itself, because he basically calls religious. like a fairly organized or coherent set of social beliefs, something alongside those lines. It's again, it's not entirely clear. Uh, cause he go as J- Justin was putting it, like he goes kind of anecdotally to like, okay, this is how religions have been, and this is, but also, what is religion? It's, you know, so much can be religion, uh, and you know, humanism also can be a religion, and this is what it is, and just goes off. And then he's talking about humanism and no, he's not, but so he claims and to, you know, to do a proper, like, uh, unbuilding of this entire fucking book would take days. It generally would. And I, now I'm not going to promise this, but I may add, elaborate on some further points depending on how this episode goes or just because I want to uh, as Patreon content because, uh, There's just so much terrible about this book. Fucking hell.
1: Yeah, he defines things as, uh, he defines religion as like sort of fictions that dominate reality. And he does this to, you could really just use the word beliefs in chapter. I think this is chapter five. (laughs) And so he starts defining religion. He says like communism's a religion, liberalism's a religion, because these are lies we tell ourselves about the world. Like there is such a thing as the working class. No, that's a fiction that we use to make a shorthand so that we can think about a large amount of people. There is a king and he is appointed by God, but that's a fiction because the king is actually supported by bureaucrats, right? But again, calling all these things religions is just unnecessary because he could have said ideologies, he could have said beliefs, and he doesn't, he doesn't even get into any meta beliefs, so like beliefs about belief. And that's where he kind of trips up in this chapter. So he doesn't say like a belief that my belief could be wrong. That's a meta belief, right? Um That like kind of a fallibilism, like I could be wrong and about that fallibilism, I could be wrong. And that kind of like would solve a lot of the problems that he brings up um in this in that thing he says like countries classes or fictions that we construct for convenience i agree mm-hmm. um but he doesn't say anything interesting with that insight because that would require engaging with actual philosophy and this book is just a long buzzfeed article
2: <laughs> yeah well it's that and like he can't engage with it mainly because that would like lend it some kind of legitimacy or like notion that it's worth talking about which is very crucial to his structure of argumentation that it isn't. It is all yeah. something that he can just dispel with the wave of his hand because he's a rational person. He's the true rational person, uh, so on and so on. And this is why he can never admit that he has a fallacy because, once again, this does fundamentally not fit within the structure of his argumentations. I'm hesitant to call it argumentations because they're not argumentations. They are a, a, a loosely connected thread of pseudo-observations, I think, at best. Um I don't know how you guys feel
0: about that. Uh, I'm going to get an example of that (laughs) because I think it's uh, it's good. Uh, He talks about evolutionary theory, commonly accepted scientific paradigm. Good, and he effectively talks as like you know with Darwin with the idea that evolution's a thing. uh, The soul is dead. There's no such thing as a soul. It's and it's like why? Uh, Because you know there's no. It's just not. It's God's dead. Soul's dead. You can't. He. he I'll, I'll try and find the exact quote, but he says something along the lines way of if you truly believe in evolution, you cannot believe in the soul. And I'm like, sure, you can. <laughs> Millions of people do. So it's
2: like he once again, and this is one of the many notions that we talked about like a little bit earlier before we recorded. Like it reminds me a lot of like religious trauma a little bit. Like oh, I don't no longer believe in God, therefore I don't no longer believe in my own soul. So it's this. It's this post-trauma non-dualism that's going on here, mm-hmm. uh, which the soul is dead is such an interesting phrase, phrasing of that. Mainly like, oh, it wasn't real, but we killed it, or like, what happened to the soul? Who killed it? Like, was it you, Harari? I don't know. Like, it's <laughs> like, when did the soul die? Then, actually, ex- 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 actually, or I don't know. I don't understand his conceptualization of well anything, but definitely not <laughs> about the soul is that passage.
1: Yeah. Well, he. The more, I think the more important part rather than the soul and God being dead is the self being dead. Like there is no self. Um, and gosh, if only there was a field of study that studied things post the modern era. <laughs> if only there were people who wrote books about the self. Um, yeah. And and struggled with this idea of what the self means in a post-industrial world, in a post-modernized world where everything has the logic of the factory brought in. Once Once your world is ideologically dominated by factories, then what is the self? If only someone had thought to write about that. If only there was an Got entire
2: it. academic principle dedicated to that.
1: Or he didn't make the the classic blunder of bringing up a better book in this section in a book that like is bad. But in other sections, when he talks about like humans bootstrapping themselves to omnipotence, he does bring up like Cyborg Manifesto and other actually good works that you should read. Yeah. and I was like, oh no, don't do it, Harari. You can't bring up a better book in the book you're
2: writing. Well, it does fascinate me then that he has apparently read those books.
0: I think then I can't believe that uh, I cannot believe he has read the Cyborg Manifesto.
2: Well, yeah, okay, maybe he probably just then just read a synopsis of that, or like yeah, yeah,
1: I've definitely read pop history books that have been accused of not reading books that they cite. Um, I read a book about the Great Depression in grad school, and it was a book we were thrown by the professor to see if we would catch that it was a bad book right and so it was like a test of us to like you know is this person full of shit and you know i looked around and i actually found a my favorite academic review of a book ever and he just (laughs) says my he's like i wrote the book on the great depression it is cited in this book but clearly the author has not read it (laughs) (laughs)
0: oh fuck
1: like I gotta sign this guy's book when I was an undergrad and like had to learn about the Great Depression. Like he did write the book on the Great Depression. And uh he just tore this book apart. It was uh it was great.
2: So the religion of liberalism is then what uh what do we wanna get into about that? Or well, uh
1: so the modern covenant is what he calls okay. it. He says modernity is a deal between science, which wants power, and religion, which wants order. Humans Agree to give up meaning in exchange for power. So that's sort of the thesis of that chapter. So he's already in chapter five. He he defined religions. Now he says the new religion is we want the power to become immortal, basically, and we're giving up our old systems of meaning. And then he mentions Shinzo Abe, which I was like, ooh. <laughs> once
2: again, another notion that has been
1: <laughs> another prediction gone. It's like Shinzo Abe, who will definitely be around for five years.
2: <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. So, look at the killer of uh, Shinzo Abe's uh, use of technology. It's way more interesting than Note. Uh, but it also, <laughs> in all seriousness, yeah. Once again, he's breaking with, like, uh, with once again, Something that neoliberals, in a, in a political science perspective, are slightly once again they are wrong about it, but at least uh, like neoliberals within political science perspective, like argue for a redefinement of power, like a non-realist, non-classical definition of power. They come up with a, a not a great one, but at least they acknowledge that they there is an, a, a needed a conceptual reconceptualization of power to define how our once again post-modern society might function yes or no and even once again harari is also just using a very uh once again a a term that i have like had to read a lot like like a lot about power he just like inserts that in there without defining it which once again is just trademark harari at this point just like hey here are like terms and, and like studies in academic fields that are massively like divine multi-definitional layers on top of each other and like they those layers talk to each other sometimes and like he just like i don't know just skates through that and like inserts those terms really nearly into anything that he needs them to get into which is once again uh no there's gonna be a final description of harari like that's just uh
0: oh yeah i'm this is harari does not understand anything the book but I, I think the the thing about him talking, especially about this modern covenant, is that, what are what are those terms? What does giving up meaning mean? Um, and he goes on later to say, it's like, oh, but, you know, they found the self, but the self isn't really the self. He's true about that. Uh, the The self isn't a single unified thing. He talks about that. But does he do anything interesting with that? Does he actually engage with, you know, any decent psychoanalysis? And, you know, the postmodern, uh No, absolutely not. It's all, it's gone. It, it's, I, I say nihilist because he, any sort of transcendental, any non-technologically minded and technologically focused idea that he's talking about, he needs to effectively take away and push aside as unimportant. There's nothing outside the technological, there's any, nothing outside the technical solutions. It's all purely Technical. And anything beyond that is like he he very rarely mentions something along the lines of imagination, but he barely he barely mentions it because like uh, okay the soul is dead. okay the self is not unified okay I, I mean I, I I I I disagree in a lot of points personally socially politically historically but uh, regardless of all that so okay but I can still find something uh, like imagination and call it soul call itself. Uh, call it, I don't know, whatever. Uh, But, you know, it's like the simplest foible, but he does not engage with that because uh, his argument needs, I say argument, inverted commas, uh, his position, needs to be airtight that there is no such thing as meaning. I think that he does not believe in any meaning, Uh, aside for animals. He does strongly believe in animal rights. That's the clearest thing that I can find that he believes. Um, That uh, amphiphobia. yeah, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. But it's it's very much a sort of destruction of anything transcendental, really. He talks about spiritual spirituality as a thing that can be positive, but it's mostly uh, caked in Orientalism and not very, you know, well-established or well-elaborated uh, upon. But it's extremely, I, I think what, what Leon was mentioning, that there's this... Maybe unresolved religious trauma it's a very good hypothesis because um this book is religiously intolerant to the most obvious degree, and I'll get quotes in a minute, but it's just like no, religion is bad if you believe you're a fool the civilizations that believed have paid the price for believing, and I'm like, what the fuck yeah this I mean... is
2: whoa. It is then that I would, like, guide our direction to the fact that this book is called literally Homo Deus. um, Yeah. Which is then really funny, because it literally, I think, is like, him just, like, expounding upon his own anxieties that are left behind by this, once again, this post-trauma absence of godhood or divinity or, like, you know, his conceptualization of that, that he maybe believed in when he was younger or something. Once again, he is he he seems like coming from a religious place at least or he's from a place that is very religious uh in uh in any case so it, him having religious upbringing is with, pretty much within the realm of possibility i mean he, and, he quotes the bible quite a bit yeah, yeah. and like i oh, christ so it, there's this whole idea that like then humans need to replace god seems it, is a very interesting topic for psychoanalysis i would say
0: mm-hmm and something that will come up in other left-page episodes in the near future. Uh, <laughs> but re- replacing what we call God or calling things God, uh, yeah. which will be a lot more fun. But I found an interesting quote, and there's so much wrong with this quote, uh, but uh, well, we'll focus on the religious aspect, and which uh, shows a lot of us like him being just intolerant. Um, he's talking about, effectively, how historical Jewish people are fools. Um And uh, I quote, Such self-absorption of religious beliefs uh, characterizes all humans in their childhood. Children of all religions and cultures think they are the center of the world and therefore show little genuine interest in the conditions and feelings of other people. That's why divorce is so traumatic for children. He is convinced that everything happens because of him. Most people grow out of this infantile delusion. I repeat, most people grow out of this infantile delusion. Also, religion. Um, monotheists hold on to it till the day they die, like a child thinking that his parents are fighting because of him. The monotheist is convinced that the Persians are fighting the Babylonians because of him. It's it's okay.
2: So, real quick, um, as someone who's very happy that their parents uh, divorced when he was young, uh, it wasn't traumatic to me at all. I I just got like a cool stepdad, so like. <laughs> Cool setup. Who watches Star Trek? So I, I was happy. Um, <laughs> you know, like a guy who likes to talk about history with me. My biological father didn't. Um, well, only World War II parts. And I was like, Bill, that's that's I kind of like other stuff. Doesn't matter. But just quick notion. Uh, I didn't mind. So this assumption on like divorcing a divorce is bad for children. Or well, that's not what he's saying. But like children oh, yes. suffer under divorce ergo a uh, and bat is is quite something
0: there are no sources for this i might add absolutely no source for this argument
2: <laughs>
0: yeah and as we mentioned
1: earlier he is already replacing the, like the the babylonians are fighting the persians with because of god he's replaced that with well one of the one of the one of them had a better societal structure and technology and that's why they took over the other empire so yeah. he, he his view of history is not a materialist view of history. It is exactly this pre-materialist view, um, but he's just replaced technology in the role of God.
0: Yeah. There is one quote uh, from chapter seven. I, uh, what I forget its subtitle where he says, what moves history? And it's, uh, oh my fucking God. Um, I quote, History is often shaped by small groups of forward-looking innovators rather than by the backwards-looking masses. So that's Harari's conception of history. Okay,
2: yeah. I don't know what that means.
1: Yeah, so this chapter... Is, I can't remember because I think I I meshed two chapters together in my notes, but... That's fine. After he kind of, like, uh, says... Everything is uh, human's exchange meaning for power. Then he goes into this really, really bad line of arguments about modern states. So, you know, socialism starts to like, like first modernism kind of happens, bourgeois capitalism, mercantilism that happens. And then it's on the back foot. You know, uh, the Soviet Union is created. Uh, it wins people all around the world and fascism is created and it's winning adherents. And then somehow liberalism is triumphant, um, not materially, but sort of just like, well, fascism was beaten into submission and uh, the socialists didn't have good enough computers to run uh, production because production wasn't decentralized in any communist country. Um and then he says, and now everyone's a democracy. Uh, South Korea is a democracy. Uh, Russia is a fake. He gets everyone that gets to have a democracy. And then he gets to Russia. He's like, Russia at least pretends to have a democracy. Everyone else gets to have a functioning democracy. Um, China has no ideology, is his argument. Um, Islam and God are not a threat. Um, he says terrorists are like a fly in a China shop. They can't really overthrow the modern world, which. Um, there are several religious fundamentalist dictatorships with a lot of power and weapons, um, <laughs> including the United States. Hey, oh. uh, just wait till the right guy gets in and can press nukes. Um, and he because Jesus tells him to then, then tell me that God is not a threat as a as a to the world. Um, and then he he this is where he says, like, communism is like a modern thing. And he says the socialists are kind of the first people who are adherents of these new religions, these techno-religions, which he will name later in the book as dataism. But the socialists Uh are the first techno-religious people because they're not religious-religious, they are techno-religious. If he hadn't used the word religion, he wouldn't have to make that distinction. (laughs) But they are the first techno-religious people that he expects will become the ideology that overtakes humanism which he later calls dataism, but he could have laid all this out at the beginning if he had a thesis statement, but as he said, his argument, his book is not an argument, it's just some musings, um, which you yeah. know, isn't true, but you just have to dig out the thesis statements.
2: Yeah. It's his conceptualization of what data is as well, but is, is <laughs> and I'm sorry, I was going to sound like a broken record here, but... Uh, <laughs> Like Frank said, it would take a very long time to dissect everything. Uh, but once again, data is a thing that's uh, we already like, talked about a little bit with AI and stuff. Mm. Like, it's a thing that that's very topical and has been topical for the last, I don't know, give or take 15 years, but especially last decade um, with how advertising has worked. Data was very important there. A lot of people are saying like, oh, data is the new gold or whatever. No, it, it has always been gold, actually. But that's <laughs> not here or there. Like, There's this saying called... Inf- knowledge is power or something, I don't know. Like It's been around for a while. Um, but once again, but then data, this digital, precisely digital version of data, is, uh, the, which is, the, I think, the conceptualization that he's sort of kind of going with, I'm not quite sure. Once again, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, never sure about anything this guy does, so uh, full disclaimer there, but uh, and I don't think he is either, but that's not a hint there. Um, So once again, what kind of data is subject to dataism? And so since it's like uh, the the Soviet Union was the first one or the socialists were the first one to believe in it, it's not strictly digital data, but data does exclusively function in the way that digital, his conceptualization of digital data functions, I think, according to him. It's Mm -hmm. not just simple knowledge. It is especially this condensation of like, what you could call dead labor like what has happened and like all the things that has been written and like produced and forth and so on. And yeah, I don't know. Um, I once again, don't necessarily know what, how the socialists were the only ones to believe in that. I don't think that makes sense in any way, shape or form, but okay.
1: because they had central planning. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's literally his argument is like they had central planning. So they had to know how many hammers to build that year.
2: Yeah, unlike, you know, uh, the economic bureaus in the United States definitely weren't centralized or anything. Like-
1: yeah, and that's why he says only a modern state can be communist. So you'll have to go back to the 1600s <laughs> and tell those English peasants that were doing communism all across the English countryside yeah. that they weren't communists because they didn't have uh, a nation state.
2: Commune in Paris didn't happen.
0: So. Well, of course not. No. I mean, it's 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 about his conceptualizations of things and how th- his particular framing of things is extremely skewed. And he builds these tautological arguments. It's like, okay, since this and this, the only possible result is continued capitalism and so on and so on. I mean, the, it's terrifying. And I, I think this is fucking downright dangerous, how he portrays the 20th century. Yeah, the, the, it's the most absurd, dangerous, and downright ahistorical hep- representation of the 20th century that I have ever seen. Like, there are terrible ones, but this one is like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, well, it's downright fascist, of course, but again, uh, I quote, from 1914 to 1989, a murderous war of religion w- raged between the free humanist sects. Those being Liberalism as like a liberal humanism, a socialist humanism, so communism, not the same thing. Absolutely not the same thing, uh, uh-huh. and evolutionary humanism, or, or fascism.
2: Yeah, it's it, I. Once again, um, his whole suspension of once again ideology. We already talked about this. I'm so sorry, but it just baffles me to no end because <laughs> he like, unless, uh, like, even a tech bro, like, even a tech bro talks, I at least know the conceptualizations, sort of kind of that they're going with. I know, like, the presuppositions that they have, I know that the understandings, or rather, the lack of understandings that they have, like, from what field they are coming, so to speak, Mm -hmm. sort of kind of. Harari, on on that end, or, uh, uh, it's just, once again, it's totally baffling to me. Uh, He (laughs) just, like, Conjectures out of thin air, and like yeah. once again, it doesn't like adhere to any structural. Uh, even the concentrations that he goes with can change on the fly. So oh, yeah. this is a rigorous exercise in, in concentration, by the way, in which you have to keep paying attention, knowing that you the keeping of paying attention is not going to pay off in a significant way. So, so if you haven't caught on by now, dear listener, we are not recommending the book. Oh, <laughs> unless God no, God no. <laughs> Uh, Unless you're like sadistic or something, like you know, like this, this, this. I don't
0: know. There was one other book that I did not like very much to read uh, that I've done the left page in all this time, which was Isaac Asimov's The End of Eternity. I don't like that book. I don't think it's very good. I think there are many problems. Uh, that's I that book. There's something interesting about it. This one, absolutely nothing. So um, this is the strongest anti recommendation we can have. And the first yeah. one to date in, what, three years or. Um, but this, it's so, it, it, it's as Leon was putting it, like it changes constantly to the benefit of the argument. Like there is no coherent sense of like, oh, this is religious and this is bad. Well, religious is always bad, to, according to Harari. But like these extreme axioms, uh, as Justin put it before, at the very beginning, they are the only thing that are kind of stable throughout the book, but any justification, any argumentation for them are gone. They are his dogmas and he would hate uh, to agree with that, but they're absolutely true.
1: He does self-critique a few times where he's, uh, where he's saying like liberalism has these flaws, you know, this point of view, my point of view has flaws, but he critiques himself only to, Provide plausible deniability that he is advocating for fascism.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I, I, I think this. I mean, on the point of the religious and calling humanism and humanist religions and whatnot, I was like, there is an age-old argument. It's like, oh, communism is a religion, fascism a, is a religion, and whatnot. But uh, there's a very strong distinction there. That's like, I'm a Catholic. I don't mind you calling me religious. But those people would mind you calling them religions. Why is that? And why are you making this claim against them? Why are they wrong then? In what way are they alienated to what they're doing? Alienation's a word that uh, it's not present in this book, or, or maybe would be aside from certain fallacies on, on Harari's part, uh, or would be another argument that he misrepresents. But it's another section. That's like you know, I even a, a, a terrible or I don't know useless or pointless idea or argument like that he doesn't even make that Uh, I think that's why this book is so weak it's like it's a terrible house of cards but like if you just take a a few ones it's like there's it's all flat yeah
2: and he he doesn't even come up with like his own fanciful notion of how religion like how he uses religion is structured like okay like ideologies (laughs) are religion now why how like at least give me your little weirds like how this is supposed to function, how this concept of ideology fits within your redefined, very, very, very personal uh <laughs> uh point of view of um of, of, of religion. Like how does that fit in that structure? how can like ideology be absorbed by your new conceptualization of religion? Doesn't bother with that as far as I could discern. Could so even even within his own fanciful notions, he is incomplete. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: and on the book recommendation uh, thing you were saying earlier, uh, rather than reading this, because the only reason I would say to read it is to understand like where these people are coming from and why it's leading to fascism. But you don't hmm. really need to do that, because there's all these good articles coming out now about the AI scare industry and you can read critiques of those groups of people and you'll be much more up to date and yes you only have yeah. to read a news article
0: definitely oh definitely so <laughs> much much better use of your time yeah. uh, dear listener and we, we value it we may not value our own but we value yours <laughs> uh, <laughs> this book
2: um i was just also very quickly go and say like um it's funny because frank sent me a review of this book and uh, that review of the book like mentions the Expanse. and I would just, if you are interested in how technology can change, um, like the perspective of generations, of social dynamics, of even religion up to that point, um, and, and once again, this book, I almost, I'm almost hesitant to call it fiction because if it is fiction, is bad fiction. So a book that embraces fiction and, and is just fiction in the sim, in the most direct term is, once again, the Expanse series, which is uh, if you're interested in, once again, a uh, reconceptualization of technology throughout time, uh, throughout like lifespans, it, it's it's a great, that that's a way better and more interesting thought-provoking uh, book series than uh, this book is. So, yeah, if you're reading this book hoping to read nonfiction, you're going to have a bad time, that's all I'm
0: saying. Yeah. Even calling this a manifesto, like, it is, blatantly, uh, if you read just slightly below the surface, but even then it's like, we've read better manifestos than this, like oh, yeah. in m- much shorter amount of pages Uh, that like actually, you know, try to provide an argumentation or a reasoning for this. It's I mean, it, it's hard to escape the question, like, who's this book for? Because it's unless you're not aware of any of these processes, or even if you're aware of some of them, it's like um, I mean, I—if you believe in something, you have any sort of religious or religious adjacent beliefs, or any spiritual beliefs, really. Like, I—I'm not going to qualify or judge beliefs in any sense. Like, that's not what I'm trying to do here. Uh, but if you believe in some in anything that is a sort of transcendental, and not to rank or establish any hierarchy there, then this book is against you, openly, and calls you a fool. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you're you're not really trying to convince me. You're you're just trying to be witty and failing at it. Yeah, and, and just process, coming out as really intolerant. Yeah,
2: he like once again he is very interested in like wanting to be this um, wanting to turn his argumentative opposition into punching bags. Mm. But once again, he, it's 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 kind of like uh, like I don't know I don't know what like polite term for this is, but like. A person in uh who isn't all there mentally like like at 3 a.m in the subway station like punching the air that's kind of what harari it lit, lit a literalification of this is, is harari i would say it's uh, a guy who is desperately arguing with everybody and nobody at the same time
1: yeah there's yeah. a part i was looking for i didn't take very good notes on this section but um He's talking about basically AI healthcare. and he's like, "Here's how healthcare will get better." Um this is where there, he's it's the free will chapter, so it's, I think it's chapter eight. And in order for this robot doctor of the future to diagnose you and everything, it would need basically complete access to your biometrics, your habits. Yeah. And uh, it would need the ability to interface with you. So it would probably need like a brain implant. And he's talking about all this stuff as if it's like sort of already in the process of happening. But actually, this process wouldn't even really take place until it was already at a point where I would no longer be a human. I would already be a post-human by the time that there is a doctor that knows already what I've done already where i am already what's wrong with me and it already diagnoses me i would already be more or less a cyborg so this is just a long i I wrote this is just a long anecdote about chatbots which is where that section starts he starts saying (laughs) chatbots and then he says imagine an ai that could heal you instantly because it knows all about you and it knows that you want to who you want to marry and it knows who you're in love with and it knows Statistically, like who's gonna be a better marriage partner for you? At that point, I'm not really yeah. the same kind of human anymore. All the it's things that Dr. Houston knows, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's already past sort of my human point. So he's he's yeah. kind of assuming the conclusion that there will be post-humans and therefore there will be post-humans. It's just, it's it's literally begging the question because he describes post-humans in his argument for we will become posthumans,
2: Oh, yeah. No, he yeah. very much has an assumption about the future. And this book is filling in that blank. What's in between now and the future, I would argue. Like, it's it's just him doubling down and justifying his own beliefs poorly, once again. But, you know. Yeah. And, and, and e- once again. Yeah. This, okay, go on.
1: And early in the book, I wrote, um, for Harari, humans are already not human. Humans are just assemblages yeah. of algorithms. Um, we are we are disgusting. You know we are yeah. we are greedy. We're we're fat, right? Fatness comes in again. It, it comes in again and again. Um, you think I'm bringing this up too much? We'll try reading it and just like why does yeah. he keep talking about fat people?
0: <laughs> but, oh yeah.
1: Um, so he he already sees humans as not human, and so it's very easy for him to imagine a post human that is just a linear progression whereas he actually needs this big qualitative change where humans agree yes you can i can basically be put into a worldwide network where all of my biostatistics and thoughts are known by computers that is a very big difference and he's saying like oh yeah that's like right around the corner that's basically the same as a chatbot because he doesn't it's, see that as a qualitative difference he sees that as a difference of degrees
2: True, definitely, and like a difference by skill only, and it's it's very interesting that you said that you said that because once again I, I agree, it's uh the way he, he indeed talks about like humans, uh is once again there is this uncleanness about humans like I that's uh, the way I, how I read it, and this ironically once again I think is uh very reminiscent of religious fundamentalism like especially like the uh like to me it reminds me a lot of like the the christian the type of christian that like constantly believes to be needs to be forgiven or like needs to be mm-hmm. repenting and like oh we are bad we are like uh, filthy little animals not worthy to god's paradise and whatnot <laughs> and you know not saying that all christians are like that but just like you know there's a the type of christian that gets like that that's all i'm saying and once again it, like this mixed with like this religious trauma makes me think of him as a techno fundamentalist like yeah. once again humanity is impure or like <laughs> Harari Harari is in so many ways a, a very 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 boring version of like uh, the techno priest from Warhammer <laughs> um, <laughs> he's like what are they called like uh, technos adeptus or something I don't know what what they're called but... um...
0: Adaptus Mechanicus.
2: Adaptus Mechanicus, like, essentially Harawi is that, but like shit, um, oh. like like not, like once again, it's like pseudo-fascism, uh, but boring, and which is a great metaphor for how well what's happening right now, like pseudo-fascism, like quasi not pseudo sorry quasi fascism with but boring, like we we're not gonna get we can only get the dystopia part of the cyberpunk future. We're not gonna get the cool bright lights. That's yeah. that's essentially. Uh, Sorry to be a pessimist here,
0: <laughs> but it's I'm... interesting it, it, exactly that point, uh, about like him, him jumping to these conclusions. Cause he makes some examples and claims. I'm like, a, a handful of people would maybe do that. There's like, Oh, you know, in, in the future you, you have your like therapist, which is like you, you talk to them and they're an AI and whatnot. And it's like, Oh, I, the example is a woman who went and date. Oh, I went on a date with John and Mark, uh, or David or and John. It's like they're probably both religious names now that I think about it, uh, regardless of which, whichever ones they are. And and she's like, Oh, which one should I go on a date with? And it's like, oh, you should probably go on a date with Mark, because there's a next percent chance that's like so on and so on, and you'd be a good match and whatnot. And I know you wanted me to say David, but he's et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, Harari makes the assumption that people would live their lives based on percentages and probabilities. Where would those probabilities come from? Data. Data. Data knows. Data is uh-huh. Harari's own god. Uh, data will always know and will be right. And so people must submit to the data. Um. So yes, Harari is the the, the dictator in charge here. But Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but like, no. It's like, okay, even if even if, and that's a very big hypothetical if, a lot of people did that. What about the people who are just like, okay, don't trust you, don't believe you, don't wanna, but I still wanna do this. It's like, Harari d- does not believe in any kind of fundamental change in reality, in history even, which makes it a fucking awful historian because there's no change for Harari. The, uh, going back to the techn- technological determinism, there's only technological development there's nothing else there's no society social there's no cultural who gives a shit about culture there is even economics is pale in pales in comparison to technological development that is the supreme god here that is the only proper force in history and that's why though it's the small group group of forward-looking innovators who do technological development Also not true, by the way. That's not how technological development even remotely works. Um, But that's why these are the people that make history, because they are the ones, according to Harari, which lead to technological development, and it's only technological development that leads to things. And since history is only a single clear line, there's nothing else. Anything distant, parallel, separate can only be backwards. So it's always the backwards-looking masses. Uh, who you know stand against history? So we must bow down to Silicon Valley and worship them. Yeah, it's
2: like tech and data are also interchangeable for him. By the way, oh yeah, like, you know, <laughs> okay, never mind. And <laughs> everything in the past, he has he has terrible
1: presentism. So everything in the past, therefore, is a re- is a reduction to technology. So Buddhism is a technology that helps alleviate your suffering. Because you don't have brain implants that can do it for you. That's kind of his argument is like, yeah, it's good to eliminate desire because that would eliminate suffering. But if you have, you know, brain implants, you don't have to eliminate desire. You can have your desires and get rid of suffering. Um, if you like your desire, you can keep it. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's everything in the past then becomes a technology that is only exists for the alleviation of human suffering the extension of human life and you know death is a technical problem and technical problems have technical solutions which is yeah. the the axiom of the book
2: yeah definitely
1: yeah well i was just gonna say uh, the end of the book is where he starts talking about like data as a religion dataism. i don't know if you wanted to hit <laughs> on that yet or save it for the very end
0: Oh, no, we, we can go for that in a second. I, I don't mind. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh, I think what I just wanted to mention in regards to, like, what this presentism and blatantly anachronistic view of the past uh, leads to is hims like, you know, but... Uh, and there are clashes there because while, you know, ideally animal husbandry and agricultural is superior to, uh, according to him, hunter-gathering societies, But you know, they still lead to suffering of animals. So it's still, so it's all bad. It's all bad. Only, only the present can save us. Only this specific outline present can save us. Anything else, anything in history, it's all dead. It's all worse. It's all terrible for one reason or another that I, Harari, uh, your god, find convenient. And especially as he goes to like you know, but they they didn't have uh this so therefore they were backwards therefore they were behind and he does that with religion because um to the, to the point where he justifies colonialism under technological uh developments and I'm going to bring on this fucking quote because uh yep yeah, it's terrible uh, I'm going to go with the full quote which is a, a fairly long uh I quote in the mid 19th century few people were as perceptive as marx hence Only a few countries underwent rapid industrialization. Not how that works. Absolutely not how that works. Uh, But anyway, um, these few countries conquered the world. Close enough to history, most societies failed to understand what was happening, and they therefore missed the train of progress. Diananda's India and the Mahdi Sudan remained far more preoccupied with God than with steam engines. Hence, they were occupied and exploited by industrial Britain. Only in the last few years has India managed to make significant progress in closing the economic and geopolitical gap, separating it from Britain. Sudan is still struggling far behind. You know, these people were colonized and, and were taken over and were subjected because they were believing in God. Because they weren't focused with technological development, with industrialization and steam engines. Because that's all that matters throughout the entirety of human history. Nothing else does. I mean that that once again that's
2: especially heinous because if you, if you if you know if you're up to date what's going on in Sudan right now, like you know, even this once again is disproven by actual current events. Like there's, you can't get into it now because when, it, it would take uh, it deserves like uh, like more time that I can give it right now. So I'm just gonna like Google it, uh, do some yeah. research on it. I, I can honestly recommend it. it's 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 um, not unimportant. But those regions have been like once again playgrounds for Western powers for so long. Yeah. And like just, just overlooking that alone is insane to me. But okay. It's- yeah,
1: and also Your desire to give that more time is something that Harari doesn't have. So (laughs) that's why we have to jump from these topics, like from one topic to another, because that's what he does. And he doesn't dive in and go, actually, this is a complex thing. I should. So he could have (laughs) taken any one of these chapters, probably like the last one, most likely, and expanded that into the whole book. And he should have read some some freaking philosophy (laughs) he should have read some (laughs) philosophy about the self if he because that's also a really big point of his book is there is no self yeah uh he should have taken like chapter eight or chapter 11 and just got rid of everything else
2: yeah uh he has some interesting notions about free will as well Mm -hmm. which i didn't quite understand uh once again that's that's a whole thing (laughs) uh the notion of free will which is not necessarily supported by the current strain of dominance uh, uh, philosophy, I believe. Uh, once again, that's going to get very neurological and whatnot. But it's, <laughs> it's once again, uh, that is not that difficult to understand. I would humbly argue, at least to understand the outliers of that. And even this, he doesn't bother with, which I think is so,
0: well, anyway. But uh, yeah, data is, huh? That's so. Uh, Just to jump on that free will point, uh, which is um, (laughs) very briefly, because uh, I I don't care enough about that point, but he goes on, I think it's the only moment in the book where he talks about social social impacts and social influences. That's like, you know, uh, because human wills and desires, they are socially determined or they're random. So there's no such thing as free will, because what you do is either determined or random. What random means is... uh, uh, it's up for debate. He doesn't bother to talk about it. But that's like, you know, because of the country, because of society, because of economic and social and cultural pressures. That's the only moment in the book where he acknowledges those exist. And then they fade away because, you know, they're not convenient to engaging with other things. And, you know, he he cannot explain countercultures. Um, he, cannot, he cannot explain or understand anything. And I do not believe he understands anything. Um, that's m- my thesis about... I'm, not, I'm probably not going to title the episode this. I'm not entirely sure what yet, but the temptation is Homo Deus. Harari does not understand anything in the book. Uh, it won't be that title probably, but it's accurate. Um, I just had to make that point again. I'm sorry. Um, so, dataism, huh?
1: So Yeah, dataism is, uh, I think the name of the chapter is data religion. And what he calls dataism is just libertarian... Tech talk. So he says, like, information wants to be free. There is a right to exploit information and to gather it via compulsion. So uh, you can use Twitter, but we get to have your data. That's the compulsion. And he says that these compulsions will only get worse and worse. But he, he kind of undercuts himself almost immediately um, because he, he doesn't make any point Uh, that data's freedom is valued over humans' values. So who are these dataists? He doesn't cite any dataists. He invents a religion with no adherence. And he brings up Aaron Swartz, who was doing data freedom. So he was trying to mass pirate uh, academic articles for the benefit of humans, but he frames it as for the benefit of data because Swartz just wanted data to be free. Whereas Swartz was, you know, uh, a very compassionate young man, right? He, He cared about other people. That was why he was doing it. Yeah. This is another thing where he sort of earlier in the book, when he's talking about socialism, he completely ignores Marx's separation between his economics, where he says things like, you know, capitalism developed the world so that we can have, you know, modern socialist states and then goes and writes a book saying we should be communists because it doesn't matter how I understand the economy. We should be communists because that is better for society. It's a more equitable society. Yes, these are bourgeois values, but these are ones that I also believe in. Right. The sort of liberty and equality that are promised by the modern era. And he says mm-hmm. the only way to really do that is is, is through communism. He, Harari doesn't talk about ideologies because instead he has to throw everything in, into these weird categories he calls religions.
2: Yeah, which he then doesn't bother to define either. But okay, yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> um, and I was furious because he effectively hijacks Aaron Schwartz uh, as like you know he was the its first to into the movement. You know, let's yeah let's let's talk about someone who is dead and cannot defend themselves and accuse them of doing something to my own convenience. That was fucking despicable. I mean, the whole block is, but they, that's that, it's like, yeah, no, let's let's talk about the open access movement uh, because uh, I, I need a scapegoat for this and uh, let me invent one uh, and fabricate one to my convenience. Whereas, you know, they actually believe in something with, as Justin was saying, with a clear purpose. Like Harari, Harari has no purpose to what he believes because or at least he cannot proclaim it because uh, the the conclusion, the result is fascism. So that's what he's doing it for, even if he doesn't say it Whereas you know, open access movement and uh, all that, which I uh, cannot respect enough. They actually support something for for people and humanity in general across, you know, economic, social, political borders. As uh, uh, speaking as someone in a third world country or the global south or whichever you know, uh, uh, tendentious sort of uh, economical oh, framework. On, you're a developing nation, Frank. That's... If you say so, Leon. Uh, whichever <laughs> framework you'd like to use, I am someone who strongly benefits from the open access movement because otherwise, couldn't be doing my fucking masters. I real, I literally could not because uh, you know uh, these are. Sp- fairly specific books published abroad and they are extremely expensive to import. And uh, you know, they're not published here, they're not available in the libraries. For one reason or another, it's not necessarily those faults, but they're just not available. So without any support for you know this freedom of information for people, which is the point, so much research wouldn't be done. And uh coming from my own university. We do a lot of good PhD and MA work in a wide variety of fields and in in the stronger and larger Brazilian universities in general. Um, And uh, I can say openly uh, about pretty much any field of knowledge, uh, if it wasn't for people in support of open access and the like, so much research wouldn't be able to be done. Definitely.
1: Yeah. And as someone who works in the open access movement, Uh, as part of my job you know it's interesting where ideologically the movement has gone because you know it starts with this sort of techno libertarianism of information wants to be free information doesn't want anything first off Um, (laughs) and so but it's moved to okay we have to set our sights on artificial scarcity that turns a lot of people in this movement into leftists because they realize this is a problem of artificial scarcity. How do you solve that? You socialize the problem. You you socialize the costs of, of production. You uh, you know do everything you can to undermine the for-profit model. Um, the EU just had a recommendation come down from its Open Science Council. It's just a recommendation. It's nothing's been accepted yet. But it really got the publisher sweating because it says we need to move to a nonprofit model of of publishing, meaning we need to destroy some of the biggest companies in the world, um, <laughs> like some of the most profitable companies. It's, and basically the EU is, uh, you know, a committee of the EU is like, yeah, we need to destroy like half of like the Netherlands economy, which is Elsevier. So like it's, it's just an incredibly uh, it's That's just like, awful. yeah, it just needs to go away. <laughs> Yeah,
2: sorry, Leon. Uh, <laughs> we don't work in Elsevier. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I have read it uh, a couple of times, but no, it's, it's uh yeah, mm, uh, the Dutch economy is, is, is a wild thing and not, not so easy <laughs> to destroy. It, sadly, yes. Well, mm, never mind. Topic for another time.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's interesting how it's politically, you know, it, it's tried to be hijacked by the for-profit movement. The open-access movement has. Yeah. But the people who are still working in it are very much going like, "There's only one solution here, which is to nationalize and and subsidize these costs."
2: Yeah, yeah. it's a very interesting thing that I've been following, the, from the EU. That, that's uh, once again, I'm curious to see where that goes. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess uh, Harari is just constantly forgetting that, like, we're just normal men. What do you mean, normal men? We're just innocent men. And, like, I'm very happy that, uh, that, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, no, no. It's, uh, he constantly keeps forgetting... and, 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 like, the point is that very interesting that we that we swap, like you said, Frank, uh, that we swap data with humans
0: constantly for yeah. some reason. And, yeah, no, that's. Yeah, And I mean, I think the point that Justin just made, right, that's like, data doesn't want anything. You, you claiming data wants something is a, a very very shallow anthropomorphization that to call It's like, no, this is what data wants. It's like, and, uh, you know, you, you can't find a single person who believes in this data religion, this dataism for the sake of data. Usually, even when they are, you know, far-right or techno-liberals or in Silicon Valley, they do it for an interest, and whether that interest isn't is disingenuous insincere or not they they have an objective there's no data for data
2: i think then let I get to like uh, as a, as a su- semi closing thought at least that then uh, my conclusion on this conceptualization of religion is that it is a very 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 poor uh, a substitution for some kind of pseudo empiricism um it Mm -hmm. is like a a filter through which he like once again observes and like or i don't know this like this data is not once again is like like this this this, um category in which he tries to toss in everything that he doesn't know how to explain and like you know it's like all the phenomenons that he thinks a exist and b but then doesn't know how to explain so therefore, that's what he means with religion, I think. I don't know. It's like the closest thing <laughs> I have.
1: At the at the end, he does something very confusing, which is he starts making a political argument. Something I think he just forgot that he said he wasn't going to do that. <laughs> uh, and he starts arguing against dataism, this religion he hasn't found any living adherence of. And... He's just like, we should be, because I think he just wanted a dramatic ending, but he's like, we should be wary of, of what this means. And it's, it's, it is kind of like, he's trying to write sci-fi, but he's not good at writing fiction.
2: No.
1: So he's just, so he's just writing nonfiction sci-fi. Which is also bad.
2: <laughs> Which is also not good at Yeah. Sci-fi. So,
1: yeah. So, um, I don't know why he did that, but. This is also kind of where a lot of his cop-outs start showing up where he's just like, eh, don't look at me, I'm not a fascist. I just uh, I just like a lot of their ideas.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I also refuse to engage with anything substantial and just want to like like formless things without any substance to them. Which once again, as we have talked about a lot on HBM, leads to fascism.
0: Hey-oh. Fascism again because uh, you know that that's what happens when you do things like this. <laughs> it's not it, it's it's not that difficult actually, uh to uh, avoid that. It's, yeah. it's quite One simple. Thing. Uh fuck me. I think as like uh to trailing on what Leon was saying as like a semi closing thought. Um it's really interesting the way he wants to fully I don't know, um demonstrate humans as like a biological byproduct as like and it's so uh encompassed by this idea of data to him uh it's like you know the the life sciences strongly believe or they majorly support that humans are actually just algorithms what algorithms really mean is not well defined not clear but you know they are just machines there's like they're just Machines with whatever yeah. consciousness that's not real um, and it's not actually a thing. So, you know, they're just a biological product that are insignificant. It's, it's such a, mas- a misanthropic book as well. That um, says, oh, it's, it's terrible. Um, again, he, he, for, for, he values animals more than he values humans. But he values animals because they're close to humans. But humans, because they're humans, are not important. Um which is a very odd point to make and position to stand on um in in lieu of all that fucking book uh I think my point is uh i think to draw to something that I alluded to there is the 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 one of the arguments or one of the points of this book this idea of this general history and you know elaborating on things and explaining things as wider phenomena and not just you know this micro history or Which again, they're not necessarily opposites; they're complementary as things go. Uh, Of course, they go like that. Come on, let's have some nuance, for Christ's sakes! Um, (laughs) Passionate about this, very passionate about this, Um, because I care about historical theory, unlike Harari. And you know, this idea that general general histories and like these grand narratives can be interesting—they are—they are certainly out of fashion, and they have been for a while because how do you the question has arisen it's like okay how do you write these grand narratives given uh in, in in lieu of such well-established and dedicated and minute analysis like it's really difficult to do grand narratives aware of such conflicting uh interchanging and wide-ranging elements such as you know rise of capitalism imperialism racism orientalism how do you factor all that in it's extremely difficult so it's it's become a harder process to do good grand narratives. And as such, for a large portion of historical research that has gone out of fashion um, because it wasn't as equal in explanatory potential as these more localized and more separate narratives. There's a very large, very long, very elaborate and actually sincere debate to be had about that. However, the way the Harari does it is the most clear example of like, how this can be terrible because this is the most extreme oversimplifications. It's intellectually dishonest the entire fucking time. It's overly simplistic. It's not that it's just generalist. That that would be acceptable. That's not what's happening. It's full misrepresentation. It's not engaging with any amount of really historical scholarship for him wanting to talk about 20th century, to wanting to talk about um, pre-agricultural civilizations. Uh there's just so much of this book which is clear to show like the worst absolute worst tendencies in western scholarship um to the point where it's like they are not the majority anymore but here are they presented in a popular sense uh especially in in alliance with silicon valley ideology because it's ideology um it becomes this book. It becomes a book that has nothing interesting to say. It reinforces its own beliefs the entire time. It is wanting to proclaim that's like, oh, it, it wants to save faith, which is fascinating. It wants like, oh no, but I'm opening horizon. I want you to give people something to think about and wonder about these issues while absolutely foreclosing any horizon of expectations and any ideas of a future different than what he proclaims is future. So it there's so much about this book which reflects and is and prefigures a lot of these uh, even more recent tendencies of these Silicon Valley ideologies these techno bros and techno fascism really and yet it's all collated in this terrible fucking god shit book, book um, which perfectly encapsulates and demonstrates all of it it's terrible it's one of the worst books I've ever read I'm sure of it um, because it's it's harder to go lower than this. Um, and yet it, it, it really encapsulates and proclaims so much of these tendencies, so much of techno fashion, so much of these techno bro libertarian trends. And yet it still remains a part because it is everything. It's all that's terrible in one book. And exactly, it's so out of date, is another mwah, chef's kiss, cherry on top of the cake, of a very, very terrible cake. Uh, So, yeah, this is a terrible book which encapsulates the rise and the sad, dreadful tendency into techno-fascism. Yeah, this is Homo Deus. Burn it, (laughs) really? Uh, I I think that's actually something productive you can do with this book. Because, as Justin was saying, and a lot of the reviews, it's a very heavily printed book for some odd reason. Uh, So, yeah. Yeah burn it i guess (sighs) had to get all that out of my chest thank you both so much thanks everyone uh justin any any final Mm -hmm. closing thoughts that you'd like
1: no i think i covered everything i wanted to uh the the ai fear-mongering thing is obviously more relevant and up-to-date than this book is um a lot of the book is about identifiable threats to identifiable people and then he moves into the realm of unidentifiable threats to unidentifiable people um you know potential threats in the world so uh he it can make you kind of scared about the future but i mean it's you can get a better idea of the ideology because there's already like a, a pocket industry of people tearing down this kind of this kind of talk and yeah, just keep in mind that this is this is people who think they're non-ideological, marching headfirst into fascism, and the whole time they're going to say, "I'm not ideological. I'm just a realist." I don't care about <Right>.
0: politics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. While well, making the most political statement yeah. in book you have ever seen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's this book. <laughs> Thank you so much, Justin, for uh,
2: for providing this.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. I, I mean, I, I when I started reading, I was suffering. But I knew this was going to be a great episode, as it has been. So, um, <laughs> thank you. You're you're still a friend, okay? You, I, I don't hate you, for it. Okay, <laughs> Of
2: course. It's funny, because I actually own a physical copy uh, of this book, because someone gave it to me. It's my ex. And it's my ex because of... No, just kidding. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's nothing to do with this, <laughs> but... Uh, no, I actually own a physical copy of this book, and so I, I was really uh, excited when Justin like recommended, or, like suggested this book. Not recommended, sorry, Justin. Uh, suggested this as a as a topic, uh, as a episode idea. So I was like, oh, I finally read this book that I have been has been gathering dust on my shelf. I I know people talked about this book, and then I started reading it. And I was like, hmm, actually, this uh, <laughs> this is rough, buddy. This is, uh, but there was a lot to say about this. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. I
1: think I think episodes where people make fun of a book are some of the best ones I mean there's a whole podcast of it which is like if books could kill I would love them to see to see them take on one of his books like sapiens or 21 rules or whatever um but my I think the pinnacle of this is the three part episode by video games are the worst thing on earth where they talk about movie Bob his book about Super Mario 3 oh it's a three part episode it's taking down like a hundred page book. Oh my God. And it's like the pinnacle of book podcasting. <laughs> it's, I love going back to those episodes. So that's my plug for that. And then uh, obviously Library Punk, go follow that. Oh, check yeah. out
0: Library Punk. Check out Library Punk. Check
2: out the H- Homosaurus Hulk. one. It's really good. Yeah. And we just did an episode
1: about Desk Set, which is a movie from 1957. Uh about a library getting a computer in it and actually like IBM, like sponsored the film. So oh. the movie is oh. kind of like partially a fit, like a commercial for IBM. Wow. Um, and so this is like the first couple of years that IBM was selling to non-government clients. And so this movie was actually really like a commercial. And it was also about like, it was completely relevant. You could have replaced the computer with like chat GPT would be the same movie because like, it's about what are the limits of machines? Are they going to free up our labor? Are they going to make our lives easier? Um, Can machines understand information context? Right. So, and because the machine can do more than like computers in the fifties actually could, it's, it's actually more like chat GPT now, which like is sort of like a, a smoke and mirror show that looks like it's doing more than it (laughs) Did you see that thread of the guy who um who was using ChatGPT in his legal filings? Oh, yes, and he kept yeah. and so yeah, and it had all of these the made up cases. fake citations, <laughs> and he he submits that he submits it, and then like the defense or whatever mm-hmm. looks at it and goes, "These don't exist." And the judge is like, "What did you do then?" And he goes, "Well, we just assumed that ChatGPT found things that the defense couldn't find." And it's like, do you use Westlaw or LexisNexis? It's like, no, we use this, some kind of company and then Google. And he's like, you didn't go to a law library? It's like, no, we do it on Google and chat GPT now. And the guy was just like, I didn't know it was a machine made to lie to you. I yeah. thought it had real sources that it would <laughs> give me.
2: Yeah, it, it mainly strives for like a formalistic approach of like, okay, well, this is what your thing should look like. And like here are some sources, what the source could like look like. And my favorite, um, like AI gone wrong thing, personally is um, like a model that was like supposed to do something very simple and a thing that I think that AI might be useful for. Or once again, it's not AI. I hate people saying it, it is AI. I've accepted it and I will say it. It's not even VI, but never mind. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It's it, it's a yes, yes or no, and if then tree at best. But this, this doesn't matter. Like it, it's so. <laughs> it like it was uh doing something that i think that these programs because that's what they are these programs might be useful for kind of sort of and that was to identify fish um because it could like see uh pictures of fish and like register the amount of fish in that pool or that lake and so that like uh, nature agencies can like track a increase or decrease of certain sort of, species for ecological habitation and so forth and so on and um <laughs> It was, like, it was shown a picture of, like, a brass. And or I think it was a brass. I don't know. Um, and it was, like, oh, no, that's not a brass. It's, like, why? But, well, because it doesn't have any thumbs. And they're, like, what the fuck does that mean? And because it was shown pictures of brass, which was mainly people holding the brass and showing their thumbs while holding the brass. So it used those pictures of brass so <laughs> to like <laughs> to, like, learn what it is. Like, oh, so brass has thumbs. Got it. So <laughs> here it is like a counter to like not AI fear mongering and how incompetent it still is. Like don't worry too much, I would say yet. Uh, do worry about the financial yeah. structure around AI very oh, yeah. much. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But the AI itself, yeah. Uh,
0: I mean, if you want uh, yeah, the... a, a serious recommendation about that, I, I can hardly recommend it. I read it. Uh, you Look Like a Thing and I Love You by Janelle Shane which is a magnificent book about AI and AI development and the many issues that face it that's like, it's quite dumb and it's quite dumb. AI, it's not really AI, as Leon was saying it, and it's very dumb. Um, and it's fascinating because Harari in 2016 talks about, you know, AI will be useful for like cancer screening and the like. 2017, the book is from later, uh, You Look Like a Thing and I Love You. Um, it's from 2019. But it quotes a, a particular article, I checked, from 2017 that basically talks about like how AI is not going to be used as useful for cancer screening and the, the the story at length is along the lines of um, it was trying to identify uh, n- cancerous or non-cancerous cells um, but uh, what it ended up doing uh, in every picture there were rulers for scales. so it, it for scaling of the tumors. so it got very good at identifying the rulers but not the cancer because ai is very lazy and we will take the path of least resistance thus identifying rulers easier than identifying cancer or not so you know it's um yeah harari very very outdated in a lot of sense and uh, it's, it's this is actually a good book on ai which i will I'll put on the show notes as well so yeah uh thank you again justin uh go listen to library punk uh, this- everyone uh, thank you, Leon, as always, for being alongside uh, alongside me. Uh, and yeah, uh, go check out our Patreon. Go check out our other episodes. Go check out Here Big Media. And uh, if you like the the our brief expanse dive, that may be something for you in the future. Um, <laughs> so be be wary, be be on the lookout for that. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you again, Justin. Thank you for being here. And we'll we'll see you all very very soon. Thank you so much, everyone. everyone. Bye-bye.
1: Good night.